0: Hey friends, welcome back to the Journal Feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and I am hella stuffed up. So if my voice is a little bit different, that's why. All right, if you're hearing this right now, then you are not a Journal Feed subscriber, and so will not be receiving the Journal Feed podcast, only receiving a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, though, they're all good articles. But if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, you'll have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. And remember, we never want money to be a barrier to better patient care. So if you're having trouble affording a subscription, get in touch, we'll help you out. This is the audio version of the past week's summaries, which were brought to you by our authors, Rebecca White, Caitlin Nicholson, Nicholas Srika, Aaron Lacey, Clark Strunk, and of course, Clay Smith. Alright, let's get into the first article, titled The Effect of Chair Placement on Physician Behavior and Patient's Satisfaction, A Randomized Deception Trial, out of the BMJ. I actually heard of this principle only fairly recently, and as a result, I take a load off every chance that I possibly get while I speak to patients. Physicians sitting at the bedside is associated with happier Patients. By that I mean that we communicate better with them, there is better patient satisfaction, and even higher levels of trust. The problem is that there's not always a chair for you to sit on. This trial was a single-center, double-blinded, randomized deception trial. They had 51 hospitalists, but I would figure that this generalizes to pretty much any physician. Anyways, they observed them doing 125 patient encounters. The randomized part of this trial was where a chair was placed in the room, either three feet from the bedside or what they called usual chair location. Now, when I say the usual location... It's not what you think, or at least it's not what I thought. When I read usual location, I thought it would be at, you know, maybe the foot of the bed, near the window, just on the opposite side of the bed from where the door is. No, 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 no. For this hospital, the usual location was inside a cabinet with a door. The chair was hidden in a closet. Just keep that in mind. Anyways. They use some scores that I've never really heard of, but I'm sure they say are validated. I'm not going to look into it to measure patient satisfaction. So the group with the chair that you nearly have to trip over to get to your patient, well, in that group, there were a lot more physicians that sat down compared to when the chair was literally hidden. 63 versus 8%. Having the chair closer was associated with higher satisfaction scores on both the tools that they used without affecting how long physicians actually spent in the room, which is key. And it also didn't affect the perception of the time spent in the room by the doctor or the patient. This trial makes a bit of a poor case for chair placement as an intervention, really undermining themselves here with a weak control group, but it does make a good case for sitting in the presence of a chair in general. This could not be easier for you to do. All you have to do is sit down while you're talking to the patient. Boom! Boom! You've got a happier patient. In a spoonful, sitting in the room with your patient has all kinds of benefits. This trial demonstrated higher rates of patient satisfaction when doctors just sat down. And then we skip to the third article, titled, Computed Tomography Imaging of Geriatric Patients with Uncertain Head Trauma, under the Journal of Emergency Medicine. What kind of studies do we love? Of course, I've said it before, we love studies that validate stuff we're already probably doing but isn't necessarily very evidence-based. The study deals with head trauma in the elderly. Now, if they have obvious trauma, then it's hard to make the case not to send that patient for a scan. There are many circumstances, though, where it's not very clear if there was head trauma, and from the story or even from the exam. So, should we be scanning those patients? I mean, what's the yield? This trial looked prospectively at 3,900 patients over 65 years old from two Level 1 emergency departments in Florida. They defined patients as having definite head trauma, if there was a clear history of trauma, the physical exam endorsed trauma, or there were other signs of trauma on the CT head, like, you know, a little bit of soft tissue swelling. Otherwise, if you had none of these things, then you were considered to only maybe have had a trauma. Now, in the definite trauma group, the rate of intracranial hemorrhage on CT was 11.4%, which is a lot, which is why we scan these patients. More than half of the patients were over 80 years old as well, in both groups, which makes these pretty high-risk patients. The definite group also had more neurosurgical interventions. Now, in the maybe trauma group, the rate of intracranial hemorrhage was 1.7%, which is lower, but it's still quite high. So, like I said, this supports my practice. In elderly patients who can't give a clear history, but you think that maybe they hit their head, it's probably a pretty good idea to scan them. It seems safer to err on the side of caution, especially with nearly 2% of them having intracranial hemorrhages. I think this is reasonable. In a spoonful, elderly patients who might have had head trauma, but you can't confirm it in any way they still have a pretty significant risk of intracranial hemorrhage. So you should probably scan them. Alright, that's all we're covering from this week, and it's about all that my voice can handle. Let's do a quick wrap-up. From the first article, sit down, but you don't have to stay a while. Sitting in the room with your patient improves their satisfaction with your care. From the third article, when in doubt, in the elderly, scanning is often the right answer. This holds true for suspected head trauma, even without any way of confirming that they actually hit their head. Again, if you're hearing this right now, then you are not a part of the members feed, and so you missed three articles from this past week. One looked at severe, a community acquired pneumonia and steroids, and we got a new meta analysis on that. Another article looked at an important test that you might want to add to your workup of acutely altered children. And then finally, we have some reason to reconsider your approach for intoxicated patients' airways. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is going to be the best way to make the podcast into a little bite-sized nugget of space repetition, which will make you more likely to remember all the studies we talk about and will help you care for your patients. Our goal here is for you to read less, learn more, and save lives, one spoonful at a time. Thank you.